Welcome to Living Out Loud. I'm your host, Valerie Fidan. LOL is a podcast about living vibrantly. Each week, I'm bringing you episodes with interesting interviews and guests in the health and wellness industry. This is a breeding ground for ideas and excitement for a balanced and inspired lifestyle. All the while, living out loud. Welcome to episode seven. Today, I'm sitting down with the founder of Red Bar, Alden Blees. I first connected with Red Bar earlier this year, and my first bite of their bars, I was instantly hooked and a fan. So I'm really excited to sit down today with Alden. Thank you so much for having me on. And as we're getting started, I was wondering if you can just share with my listeners exactly who you are and how did the whole Red Bar come about? Yeah, so name's Alden Blees. I'm from Maine, a um, small town in Maine where there are more waterfowl than there are people. <laughs> um, you know, grew up playing in the woods, had a really wonderful childhood, did a lot of cooking. I've always been interested in creating and improving, you know, like like cookies and bars and uh, and meals. Um, got really into fitness back in high school and realized the connection between fitness and nutrition pretty early on. And um, a year after senior year, I ended up going down to New York and pursuing a modeling career briefly. And when I was there, I really discovered veganism and superfoods. And I took some classes on uh, veganism and just started making my own meals every night. And I realized that actually I, I wanted to help people for a living. And so I left New York City and I went to the University of Maine, studied biological engineering, and I didn't have a lot of money. My parents were getting a divorce at the time, so it was a bit of a struggle for me. Um, and I ended up running out of meal funds, um, you know, was running two hours every single day, uh, and I needed something really potent that had lots of energy, had all the superfoods that I needed. I wanted something that also had the energy I was you know, consuming yerba mate at the time. I really love yerba. I still drink yerba as well. But okay. uh, yeah, so I just combined a bunch of ingredients in a plastic bag at my local health food store and survived off of it. And that was that was really how I ended up getting going back then. Well, yes, and I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, my mom was an entrepreneur. My dad had his own you know, practice. He was a podiatrist, mm-hmm. um, you know, small town guy really humble and just loves doing it to help people. But, you know, when I was young, I actually had an exotic frog collection uh-huh. and I had always been fascinated and I would read textbooks as a child. And, uh, and so I had these, these frogs and I wanted to support my hobby. And so I ended up going to the local school and you know, charging the teacher 50 bucks to show the entire collection to the kids. Um, and so that happened, you know, once or twice, but it was still a lot of fun. I got a rush <laughs> off of doing it. So you know, fast forward to high school, I went to a, a boarding, boarding school for a, a year on a soccer scholarship. Um, wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise, but, uh, ended up making sushi in my dorm room and selling it to some of the international students there just out of my own love of sushi, but turned it into a small business. That was my first experience with wow. dorm businesses. So. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So early on, you were definitely an entrepreneur that this was definitely meant for you. <laughs> Indeed. But, but yes, um, 
definitely struggling, not having the support from my parents, having to find a way in the world um, mm-hmm. really was a, the fire for me. I had the fire in the belly. It was, you know, do or die. And I actually, you know, I couldn't even go back to school because I just didn't have the finances to, to do that. Um, yeah. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Yeah. So it wasn't in, and back then it wasn't like I was starting a company. It was just that I was making food for myself mm-hmm. so that I could live and live pretty well, even though it was the same thing every day. Right. Um, I just needed that nutrition. And so, um, with that, how did you formulate your bars? Was there a certain recipe that you had or just kind of hacking it along the way and it turned out to what it is today? Yeah, it was a lot. So, so, you know, my entire childhood, I made tons of recipes, cookies and bars and, you know, a bunch of healthy food. And so, I believe I developed an intuitive ability to formulate. And so back then in the dorm room, I was mixing ingredients together in kind of an ad hoc-ish way. You know, I I would measure some things that were important, like some of the superfoods I would measure. But in terms of like the bulk ingredients, I had a rough idea because, you know, my mother, um, when I was young, taught me how to measure, you know, with my hands, you know, or measure by eye. or, you know, like measuring with capfuls of vanilla or, or just by the pour. So having that intuitive sense of, of you know, measurement um, right. really helped me. Um, and so that's how I started. And then every week I would go back to the st- same store and refine the uh, recipe based on my memory. Because I, I do remember flavors very well. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I'm always thinking about um, you know, the formula and, and what needs to come together to make something like great rather than just average. So always trying to improve. So week after week, uh, you know, improving. And then, you know, now I have the equipment and so I'm using analytical scales and, and right. everything. And it's, it's definitely more sophisticated, but I've taken some of those old techniques with me, which like the bag method, I call it you know, <laughs> using a plastic bag to mix a batch because it's, you know, very easy. Um, you can get a thorough mix, it's also clean um, and sanitary and you can iterate multiple times um, in the time that it would normally take you to like dirty a blender or dirty a bowl and spoon. So yeah, things like that were brilliant early on and I've taken those with me, but you know, I've, I've definitely stepped it up in terms of sophistication um, and yeah, really it's just batch after batch having that method. So okay. that's, that's, that's how, it's a lot of work, hundreds, if not thousands of batches okay. to get perfection. How did we connect with uh, Peter Van Alstein and who is he exactly? Well, this goes back to a time in the development of Red that was a bit perilous. So I, you know, I, I had made the bars in my own kitchen. I had made them in a commercial kitchen. And then the next phase was to make them in a, uh, an actual factory. And so I chose a factory near my hometown. Um, I lived in mid coast, Maine, and it was actually a biscuit factory. And at the time I had very little money. I had the money that I put into the business and then, you know, a little bit of money from investors. And so I started making the bars in the biscuit factory, which is a whole different story. It took two years to actually get that off the ground. But once it 
finally launched, once it finally worked in the biscuit factory, the bars really started to take off at Whole Foods in you know my local town. And it, it took off so well that they actually ended up deciding to put it in the whole North Atlantic region of Whole Foods. And at that time, the process that we were using to make the bars at this biscuit factory was very inefficient. And so it would take us three days to make like two pallets of bars. Wow. It was, it was that inefficient. And so it was that moment that I was going from very small runs, um, to, you know, larger runs, like to me, four pallets was a large run back then. So, you know, saying I wanted four pallets was overwhelming for this factory because I was tying up their lines and, you know, their time. And it was very expensive for them to make it, uh, from a labor standpoint. So factory owner who was a mentor of mine and still is, um, kind of had this moment with me where he said, yeah, you need to either buy the equipment to make this more efficiently or find a new co-packer. You know, meanwhile, he had other clients coming in that were large and needed to free up the line time. So, it was that that moment when I had product on the shelf and my co-packer was basically kicking me out the door that I needed to raise more money because I realized that some of the, the other manufacturers that I would like to work with had larger minimum run requirements. So raising more money meant, uh, you know, meeting somebody who could really help me take it to that next level and had, you know, you know had the experience um, because it was a desperate, desperate time needed solution right away. So one of my other mentors who I was really lucky to meet a while back was actually the owner of a a distribution company, the largest convenience store distribution company that was privately held in the Northeast region. So that was Pine State Trading Company. And my mentor's name was Keith uh, Canning. And so Keith actually introduced me to Peter, whom he'd met a while earlier, I'm not exactly sure. And, you know, Peter was, was uh, winding down some other gig that he had and was looking for his next thing. And Peter had an interest in healthy food. Um, and he had the, you know, the Harvard MBA and all the experience necessary to raise money. So, you know, Peter and I started working together then. And, you know, it was, it was really interesting because I had, you know, I'd never brought somebody on in that capacity before. You know, Peter's much older than I am. Still a young guy, but much older. <laughs> and had a, a different way of working, but I, I really recognize that his way of dealing with things is very different than my own. And so I've always heard that you should bring on your somebody who has a complementary skill set, and we very much have that complementary skill set. So a lot of the investors or potential investors at the time really saw that. And so that gave them the confidence to invest back then when things were so, you know, so difficult uh, in, in the business. So, Wow, that's great. Yeah. It's always so great to, to find someone that also believes in your vision, but um, that also, like you said, has those complementary um, skills and things that complement what, what you offer as well. Yeah. And so what is, um, currently what's Peter's role in, in Red Bar? So Peter's currently the CEO. Okay. So that was, that was a, you know, an interesting time as well. Like going, you know, I was originally CEO 
and founder and uh, you know just you know, putting egos aside and realizing that the best thing for the company um, is to you know, let someone else take that role so that I can concentrate more fully on my role, um, right. which is you know, more creative. And it's more about what I love because I have somebody taking on some of those tasks that I was doing and I was fine at, but didn't really enjoy. So I'm still, you know, I still make, you know, the decisions, but I'm able to focus on the stuff that I really am good at. Right. Which is so important. So I feel like if there is no creativity or anything behind it or any passion behind it, yeah. The quality definitely goes down, trickles down to whatever you're producing or putting out there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it can. Um, especially like when you have group think. Like you know, the best the best products, you know, have a clear leader with a clear vision and that's why they're great products. They have a point of view. And you know, when you have like a committee or you have, you know, a team sometimes that vision is diluted and so i feel like we're really lucky and i'm really lucky to be able to lead that effort of creating new products that actually have a point of view right yeah okay um and so i'm using air quotes but a backpack business um how do you describe that and how how does that fit into what you're doing in your whole history well, that was actually like how it started. I had, I literally had a backpack full of bars and actually I still do that most of the time. Like I always just travel with my backpack unless I've gone to like a trade show or some place where I had to pick up some ingredients and I have an extra bag that's expandable. But yeah, one backpack, yeah, I take the bars and wing them out of the backpack. But back in college, you know, I had the backpack and I would just, you know, sell the bars out of it. It was as easy as that. And I would drive around when I was finally making it in a commercial kitchen and essentially sell the bars out of my car um, and, of course, have bars in my backpack to give away for samples. But sampling out of the backpack is one of the you know, the core elements of this entire experience. It just keeps coming back even at this level. So. That's really great. Yeah. I feel like if you live definitely a very minimal lifestyle, yeah. which is something that I'm always, I admire in people just because I feel like in this day and age, it's so easy to, to get intertwined with like the materialism of life and just having things and having things just to have things. So it is pretty amazing that it's just the whole backpack concept or just the core thing of the whole red bar story. Yeah, I've, I've found throughout the years that it's it's more about what you can live without than it is what you can live with. So, so I just continue continually try to simplify and, and strip it down to like the bare necessities, and it clears up a lot of uh, mind space for me. Um, so right. it's, it's been really healing, I would say, and it allows me to move quickly throughout the country. I never the one having to go to baggage claim. If I'm going, going to baggage claim, there's some other situation, but it's mm-hmm. a very, uh, it's a feeling of freedom that I have uh, when I do that. You know, right. I'm, not, I'm not bound by material possessions. Right. Which is, I mean, like I said, it's just so impressive just because we all get so sucked into just being tied to possessions and the fact that you're able to 
really disconnect from that so you can, like you said, you just move freely and uh, travel swiftly through wherever you're going. Yeah, I think it's important to let go. You can't take any of it with you beyond. So Right. Yeah. And so um, going back to, to the bars, um, with the whole backpack business in mind, what have you? What have been the biggest issues or adversities that you have faced? Um, I know that we've chatted a little bit more in the beginning, but are there certain things and elements that you come across um, now that Red is a little bit more established? There are always problems, and there always were problems, and that's part of the fun of doing business. And I don't. If I didn't have the stomach for the problems, I wouldn't be in business because it's all about that. So early on, you know, some of the some of the major problems, like I guess the one that really stands out is, you know, it took me two years to manufacture the bars in this you know, factory that I had found near my house. I had limited funds, and so the reason why it took two years is because a year, about a year into it, you know, had the formula and was ready to run the first production run had done a you know done a few pilot runs and so everything ran great during the production run and it was kind of rushed because i had packaging like shipped in quickly and there was a lot of pressure on the packaging company and so went great had the bars thousands of them had spent like all my money on this run was ready to start selling it like a madman and so Two days later, opened up a bar and it just tasted really like, like just um, like kind of acrid and just gross. I was like, what in the heck happened here? And so realized after doing some investigation that all of the packaging material was shipped too soon. And so they hadn't allowed the inks to dry. And so the inks were off gassing this like noxious like chemical and I was like, Oh my goodness. Like what did I just eat? Like this cannot go out. Like, I'm sorry, everyone that I told you that, you know, we could, uh, we could sell you these, these bars, but you know, I, I can't let these go out. So, so I actually, you know, had to throw them all away. Um, I had to kind of go back to, I like, I went back and started working at a restaurant for a year um, to make the dream happen again. But I was left with the, the loan that I had taken out to do the run for like you know, $10,000. Wow. And so I was just working in a restaurant to pay the loan. And then on the weekend, I was working at the farmer's market in exchange for food. And so that was a really tough time. Just kind of stripped my life down to you know, nothing, yeah, just bare minimum. Right. But it was a good time to reflect and figure out what I actually wanted. And so I learned a lot coming out of that experience about process, um, especially, and sourcing the right ingredients, having the right co-packer, having the right packaging, having everything that you need to launch something safely and effectively. Um, but that was that was a huge challenge. You know, that, that was the opportunity to quit if there was an opportunity to quit. Because yeah. lost the whole thing at that moment. Absolutely, I feel like a lot of people would have thrown in the towel or probably just given up on their whole dream. Um, it's 
incredible that you were able to to go through all of this. And obviously it's probably a big lesson learned. Um, so how, with just a, this experience, like how did you stomach all this? Because here you have thinking that you have this great product yeah. and then you take that first bite and it's nothing what you expected. Like what was your whole feeling and thought process with that? Oh, well, I, I knew there was something wrong. And then the guys at the factory who had tried you know, the bar without the bad packaging knew there was something wrong. And so it was about identifying the source of that issue and containing it as fast as possible. And of course, you know, just basically putting everything in like a quarantine area, like, like, you know, it's, you don't mess around when you have food. So, right. you know, food that other people are going to have. So it's about jumping into action immediately. And of course, you know, everything's on a hold anyway, to clear micros. So, you know, there's a holding period, um, of about a week and, and that's for reasons like this, you know, right? because in the food industry, stuff like this happens, you don't hear about it, but it's just to protect the people who are consuming the products. So yeah, I mean, just, just knew there was something profoundly wrong there. Um, and I knew it wasn't the actual formula. Right. And so, I mean, once the, so once this whole thing cleared and I was working at the restaurant, it was actually kind of, kind of ref reflect, it was reflective. I also had lost just about everything that I could lose because I was, you know, I had no money, you know, I didn't have a product anymore. Um, this is after like two successful years of selling the previous iteration in local stores. Right. Um, and so it was kind of like going back to square one and I actually spent that time to improve the product even more. I got back to the creative space of just formulating multiple times a day with my small analytical scale mm -hmm. and making batches in bags. And so that was really neat. That okay. wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah. Um, so there was you know, definitely light in times of darkness there. It was probably the best thing that could have happened. I learned so much about myself and about the product and brand. During that yeah, time. absolutely. I can definitely see getting that new creative flow and developing this new, new and improved product. I'm pretty sure was a great time period at probably now that you can reflect back on it and, and really see that. Yeah. I think the hardest part about that was just surrendering and, you know, letting go and recognizing that this is the situation and we're here in the moment and this is the way it is. Right. So, you know, choosing how to be yeah, and, and what to do. So, so I'm curious, um, what was the first flavor that you, that you developed and put out there? Um, at the, so in college I was selling, um, it was like a maca chocolate brownie flavor, but the so one I was making, yeah, I know <laughs> it was awesome. And the one that I was making for myself was actually cinnamon raisin, um, that was, that was a great one. I, I reminisce about those times. <laughs> um, and then how, I guess like what was the next product that, that came after that or how did the, the current flavors that you guys offer, how did those come about? Oh, well, I can jump back to college. So back when I was selling these, this, this unknown, unnamed product out of 
plastic bags, um, I decided I would call it something and I would change the form factor from a ball to a bar. And I decided I'd call it Rawgasms. And so <laughs> friends love that name and it really took off on campus. And, uh, you know, stores, of course, some of them would sell the product. Some of them would just turn me away at the door saying, like, you're crazy. <laughs> Why would you call it that? But um, that lore definitely helped. The rawgasms did very well in the stores that they were selling in. Um, and people were asking about them for years after. Uh, so it was like there's a turning point there because I was selling a lot of rawgasms, making them in huge 100-pound batches in a uh, commercial kitchen inside of a raw vegan nut factory in Bodenham, Maine. Um, and, uh, you know, I was running out of capacity. I was, I was literally, you know, packaging everything, putting the labels on it, driving around on my circuit, selling it into these stores every week. It was, it was a lot of work, but it was so much fun. I loved <laughs> doing that. It had its own challenges though. Um, and then I got a call one day from one of the other owners of Pine State Trading Company, uh, Gina Canning and Gina said, hey, I love your product. I would love to talk about you know, maybe selling this through our distribution company. Um, but you know, essentially, you need to change the name because we can't sell something called Rogasms. <laughs> so that's when I went back to the drawing board. And I actually thought it would be much easier to go from Rogasms to Red than it actually was. Okay. And, uh, yeah, because it took me two hours, two two years to go from from that transition. So I ended up like taking rawgasms off the market by just letting it sell out, sell out, just okay. stop making it. And I focused solely on red. And I had had that feedback about the name from others, so I thought it had to be true. Right. So that's <laughs> that's when I made that transition. And how did the the name red? How did you decide on the name red? So back when it was called rawgasms, the colors were. Oh, there's a white pat, white uh, label, okay, um, and there's red text and black text as okay. well, so red and black. And so I thought, well, red is a color that I found really attracts the eye, um, and there's all sorts of you know, meaning behind the color red. And so I thought, well, what if I just called it, you know, red, with uh, with two Ds, and named it after the process that I was kind of using the iteration process right. and I call it research enhanced design and development because it's totally <laughs> crazy, but basically I was researching all, you know, all of these ingredients. I was researching how people like the bar by just iterating batch after batch. I was doing my own research on myself it was, and, and that was enhancing the design of the product. So I called it red and I had a red package. I had, you know, great, you know, great logo, just very simple, white on red. And that's what I stuck with until the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office said I couldn't do that anymore. So that's a oh, whole really? different story. <laughs> yeah. What happened with that? They, they just would not accept my trademark because they said that um, calling something red, that is indeed red, you know, red, the package was red, the bars right. are not red. That's a whole different argument. I'll make that argument here. But... It was merely descriptive. So you're calling something that's red, the color red, 
Mm-hmm. Even though it has two Ds, you can't do that. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, another level of challenge. There. Right. So many little roadblocks along the way. <laughs> yeah, they teach you a lot. What would you say is your your favorite bar that you guys are producing? Um, that's a tough question. I move between the bars right now. I love the salted caramel. Okay. It's really good. It's brand new. And so I'm sure that I'll probably love the next bar just as much. (laughs) But this one is very special because it reminds me of having butterscotch cookies or haystacks as a child. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds amazing. Yeah. You'll have to try it. Yeah. I'm excited to give them a try. Um, but currently how many different flavors do you guys offer? Right now we have five flavors. Okay. And what are they? We have salted caramel, oatmeal, chocolate, uh, and mint chocolate, as okay. well as peanut butter. Yeah. So that's that's the five. Uh, peanut butter is our most popular, followed by mint chocolate. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely love the the oatmeal. That's I would say that that's probably like my favorite one. I feel like it's because it's very reminiscent to like an oatmeal cookie. So it's very like has brings a lot of nostalgia to mm. to experience. Um, but I do love the mint chip as well. That's really good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's another childhood memory. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm curious, like, when you develop these different flavors, is it just you uh, developing these different, this new flavor based off of something that's very reminiscent to a, flav- a favorite flavor cookie or something? Or how, what is your, your yeah. process for that? I, so I... You know, I usually go running. I usually, you know, I usually am just kind of in a meditative state when it, when the answer comes to me of what the next flavor is going to be. But it's, it's, you know, it has been um, always flavors that are reminiscent of the past, like things that you know, trigger that nostalgia. Um, and I, I just have a, a really great memory in terms of flavor of my childhood mm-hmm. and I was able to try many things. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. So it's taking some of those flavors and making them in bar form. Yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah. It's <laughs> fun. I love it. It brings me right back when I have a bar. Yeah. I mean, I'm always so impressed with the, the flavors just because they do offer that. They take you back to a place like from childhood and it's definitely something that's obviously like a lot better for you and with very good wholesome ingredients. Yeah. And um, actually, that kind of um, I didn't want to ask how did you pick these different superfoods that were going to go into the bars? I know that we touched a little bit earlier, but um, I definitely want to know like how did you pick these ingredients? Yeah, lots of research and then a lot of like yeah, you read everything you can learn everything you can watch all the seminars and talks and then you just have to experiment and so you know trying it out on my own body of course for you know literally years Mm -hmm. before putting it into a product is how i really got to understand and trying it in every configuration possible um and being very selective about the vendors and and suppliers that you use is is the most important, you know, it's all so important, but you need to make sure that what you're putting in is the highest quality you know, version that you can possibly put in that has the effect that you want on your own body. You know, I make these products um, in a big part for myself because I consume so many of them every day. So I'm not going to compromise on, 
on my my health or the way I feel. So, right. so that's that's why they're in a lot of ways different than other bars, I believe, out there and other products. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely. I would say that this is one of my favorite bars, and I'm not just saying that because you're right here in front of me, but because I genuinely really love these bars, and um, I know it's a bar that I can I feel good about eating and. Um, I, it's a very substantial bar as well. So it's not like, at least for myself, I've noticed when I do have this compared to different bars, um, I'm not craving something sweet or something different. Or, um, and so it's nice. It's nice to actually have something that you know you're going to be satiated and you're going to be really satisfied with. And, it, and just knowing that you really are selective of your vendors, it makes me love red bars even more that's a great point back when i was formulating this particular version i was realizing how much of an issue obesity is in this country and how there are so many products out there that are absolutely addictive like you eat one and you have to eat another like other bars been formulated to to help you do that Um, it's not a great thing so i really wanted something that would actually suppress my appetite if anything Right. And so the yerba mate helps with that. The fiber helps with that. The protein helps with that. And it's helpful for living the lifestyles that we live where we're always like on the go and we just need something to get us through. Right. Without feeling the hunger pangs or the need to eat like, you know, a few more bars. So being originally from Maine, what are you doing in Oregon? Well, I told you about (laughs) that manufacturer who told me to get out um so when that happened i hit the road and i just had this intuition about the pacific northwest and i followed my intuition out here and i met with a manufacturer who shared a lot of the same values and has you know a great facility it's you know family run and really kind nice people who remind me of people from maine um, just really warm but even more health conscious in a lot of ways. I think you know, general population out here is just fit and they have the glow and it's great. And so I, I really fell in love with the people in the land and, and the city of Portland and you know, all the recreational opportunities that are out here. So everything lined up and I decided I would commit and start making the product um, in the Portland, uh, Oregon area. So oh, wow. it's a, uh, how long have you been out here? So I'm not I'm not living out here. Okay. But I visit here really right. often. Like this month, I'm here three times. Okay. So you guys are manufacturing your bars out in Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Okay. So how long has that has that been going on? I've been working with this particular manufacturer for about two years now. Okay. Okay. So with this whole interview and chatting more about red bars. Um, and just learning more about the story behind it and how you started and how, uh, the whole bar came about. I'm wondering what is the one takeaway that you want people to walk away from this interview? Surrendering to success while doing the work is an interesting balance that I've been working on achieving and we'll probably always be working on achieving, but I think that's probably the most important thing that I've realized through the years. 
Yeah. And sometimes things don't work and you finding a way to embrace it when it doesn't work and, and find the meaning in it, if anything, or, you know, learning from it is always like so much more valuable than dwelling on what could have happened or what should have happened. Just, yeah, just trying to let it go and move forward. Yeah. Cause there's, yeah, it's good. And sometimes the world seems like it's ending and it's not usually ending actually. It's never ending till it's ending. That's true. Yeah. That's such a great reminder. Whether my listeners are entrepreneurs or they're starting a new project or wherever they are in life, it's just such a great reminder that you know you just kind of gotta go with the flow of things and everything will work out eventually. It may not seem like it's apparent at that time, but um, I feel like the universe definitely has a plan for everyone, and, and you just kind of, like you say, you just have to surrender to it. Yeah, take a few deep breaths and just surrender. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't end until you're done. Yeah, you're done. That's true. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know what exactly inspires you because I feel like that would also be a great takeaway. I feel like just chatting with you and getting to know you a little bit more, I feel a little bit more inspired. Hmm. Um, and I just feel like you are just such a interesting person so i want to know what what exactly inspires you mm, I, I think nature is a great thing uh, i try to spend a lot of time out in nature actually away from people just by myself going inward and exploring the environment yeah i also listen to a lot of audiobooks when i'm traveling Sometimes that's inspiring, but it's also just good for the mind. It exercises the mind. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm always inspired by the next thing that hasn't been created yet. Okay. Um, I'm inspired by new ingredients and new experiences. So always trying to have new experiences and learn about new things. That's the, really great. Yeah. The more knowledge that you collect throughout your day, the more you can reconfigure that knowledge and, you know, multiply ideas and, you know, have, have a diverse conversation with yourself. If that's what you're, you're into. That's so true. <laughs> yeah. Or even have a diverse conversation with others. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it's all about that initial collection stage and also the introspection. That's so true. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are inspiring about life. <laughs> Hard to pinpoint one thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I never know when I'm going to be inspired. <laughs> you know, do you ever know when you're going to be inspired? Or? No, I mean, that comes and goes. <laughs> I mean, there will be a lot of old moments in life. And, um, and yeah, inspiration comes and goes. And it's, I'm always so fascinated when I reflect on things to see what actually sparked that creativity or what inspired whatever situation or whatever it is. Yeah. I think adversity can be one of the best sources of inspiration, actually. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're forced up against the wall and you don't have a choice. Yeah. Creative things happen pretty quickly. Oh, they do. <laughs> they sure yeah. do. I think our nature is that we are creative beings. Yeah. In those situations, like finding food or, you know, resources. Right. It just goes back to our instinct as hunter-gatherers. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for for sitting down and chatting with me and um, sharing with my listeners a little bit more. 
Um, I hope that they feel inspired and walk away from this and um, are intrigued to, to pursue something that they've been wanting to, to do and even get inspired to, to try a red bar if they haven't tried one yet. Yeah, I would love it if, you know, if I can inspire anybody, that would be great. Yeah. And that actually brings up one last thought that everybody says, just trust your gut, trust your intuition and do what you love. Absolutely. Yeah. So well, thank you so much. And uh, so I do have one final thing. Sure. Uh, where can we follow you? You can follow me on Instagram. My handle is Alden Blees, and you can also follow Red Bar, um, at Red Bar, spelled R-E-D-D-B-A-R. You can check us out on the web, R-E-D-D-B-A-R.com. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this week's episode. If you like this episode, please remember to subscribe. And any other information you can find on Let'sRegale.com in the show notes.